Hi, I am Joseph. And I am Eleni. And, and we, we are, are the hosts of Microbes in Us. This podcast brings together the people that work tirelessly to uncover and understand the microbial world, its secrets, its complexity, and its vibrancy. And it will show us how microbes can shape, break, and make our human world. From prehistoric times, all the way to the modern world around us. We hope you enjoy and share this podcast. Well, hello everyone. You've tuned into the podcast Microbes in Us. I'm Eleni Corsari, and I'm here with my colleague, Joseph Shuttleworth. This is a very special episode, tribute to the microorganisms in our lives, because we are just a few weeks away from International Microorganism Day, celebrated on the 17th of September. But before heading into this episode, let us give you an overview of what is International Microorganism Day. International Microorganism Day was started by the Portuguese Society for Microbiology in 2017. And it's, since then, it's been a, you know, a group and a collection of interested scientists and interested people uh, celebrating microorganisms every year on the 17th of September. And you know, since 2017, it's grown. Um, and in 2019, it became more of an online event, or at least it had an online component. In 2020, we were forced to do an entirely online International Microorganism Day. And that was when FEMS actually came in to help and support the Portuguese society. And we did a 24-hour live stream of talks about microorganisms, which you can find on the IMD YouTube channel, which we can link beneath this podcast. And this year, we're coming back with another 24-hour long live stream to talk about microbes and science and art and vaccines and yeah, all kinds of microorganism-related topics with a huge host of speakers from all over the world. Since International Microorganism Day falls on a Friday this year, our 24-hour live stream is actually going to start from the day before. So midday on the 16th of September, CET, to midday on the 17th of September, CET. But do tune in to the YouTube, Twitter, Facebook accounts of International Microorganism Day because we'll be streaming live to all over the world. But yeah, in general, the day is just a platform for micro lovers to celebrate and showcase all the, mo all the most in interesting and important things about microorganisms. I hope that you, our audience, know how important microbes are to, yeah, every aspect of human existence. And this is really just a day to celebrate and encourage everyone else to get involved and take notice of microbes. And in fact, I think today, Eleni, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite microorganisms. Isn't that right? Yeah. So for this episode, we have been tasked with finding some of the coolest and maybe unfamiliar to you facts about microbes. And of course, some of these are our own personal favorites, but just a short disclaimer before heading into these microorganisms that there are just so many microorganisms out there. We couldn't just talk about all of them in this episode, but we rather hope that this episode makes you appreciate and us appreciate how exciting and how interesting microorganisms are, even though we can't actually see them with the naked eye. So I think I'll hand the microphone to Joe, which can start with the first microorganism for this episode. Yeah. So, I mean, the first microorganism that I want to celebrate today uh, is a bacterium. Uh, it's Deinococcus radiodurans, which is its full name. It has a colloquial nickname, which is Conan the bacterium, because this bacterium is so tough that like the 1980s 8-bit games character, it's impossible to destroy. And it really can survive so many different kinds of extreme cold, dehydration, vacuums, very high acidity, 
But the reason why it's second name, Radio Durans, uh, and it's so famous is because it can survive extremely high radiation levels. And its durability is derived from one, it's got very extremely efficient DNA repair mechanisms. So when the radiation blasts its DNA to bits, it can repair them very fast before it gets too many mutations to kill the uh, bacterium. But it also contains like a really large number of multiple copies of its genomes. I don't know exactly how many, but it only needs one copy to survive and it has many, many copies. So all of these redundant copies can take damage. And as long as one is okay and then repaired efficiently, it can survive huge amounts of radiation. And I'm trying to give you a context how much radiation, right? it can survive. So the unit of radiation uh, that we're going to be using is grays, which you might not be familiar with, but to put it in a little bit of context, five grays can kill a human being. Okay. okay. So if you're submitted to five grays of radiation, you're probably dead. Now E. coli can survive two to 800 grays of radiation. Okay. So they're pretty resistant. You know, that's maybe 40 times, if not nearly a hundred plus times more radiation than we can survive. Hardy little things. It shows how powerful microorganism is in a way. Exactly. Even a boring one like E. coli. I mean, I'm sorry if you study (laughs) E. coli, but in the grand scheme of things, it's fairly mundane. Now let's take another famous resistant microorganism we might come back to later. And that's the tardigrade, the water bear, famous as well for being very resistant to radiation. It can survive maybe 4,000 grays. Dinococcus radiodurans can beat even the tardigrade and it can survive 5,000 grays. So a thousand times the radiation that would kill us. And at that dose, pretty much all of them survive, but you can even go up to 15,000 grays. So three times that, and about a third of them will still survive. So we're looking at, yeah, 3000 times more radiation than a human can, and many, many more times than even the most hardy of organisms. Dinococcus radiodurans, I think one of my favorite microorganisms, very, very tough. And yeah, in terms of what it looks like, it's usually found in tetramers. It's four cells stuck together in a little kind of clover leaf shape, lucky perhaps. And it's about two, yeah, these tetramers are about two micrometers in size. So they're roughly one third the size of a human blood cell. So they're pretty small and very tough. So yeah, that's my bacterium of choice, at least to begin with. Now that we speak about strong and tough microorganisms, I think it's a very good pass for me to go and talk about my bacterium of choice, which is Neisseria gonorrhea. So Neisseria gonorrhea is a gram-negative bacterium, and you probably know it because it causes a sexually transmitted infection, gonorrhea. But the fact that you don't know about is that according to a 2008 study, which you can find in Plus Biology from uh, some colleagues at the Columbia University in the USA, they are perhaps the strongest organisms on Earth. And to go into a little bit more detail about this, gonorrhea has highly on the surface. So if you imagine little legs spanning across the surface, that it uses it to attach and infect other cells. And uh, researchers in this article, they placed this bacterium in an array of elastic gel pillars. And what this bacterium did, it grabbed these pillars with the pile it has on the surface, and the pillar will bend over. And scientists did indeed measure how far this bending action went, and they calculated the amount of force that was being exerted. What they've seen under an electron microscope is that the pili started to bundle together and exerted more force, actually 10 times more than what they originally started. Give you a little bit of context into how much force we're talking about. Only one single bacterium could exert a one billionth of a newton force. And given in size, that's about 
a hundred thousand times its body weight. So it's equal to normal human lifting 150 normal size airplanes. So that's you know impossible. Wow, very, that's very, very strong. strong. That makes ants <laughs> yeah. look like weaklings, doesn't it? Yeah, and you might think, well, you know, why haven't we known about this? Why these high forces haven't been recorded before? Well, one possible explanation. Is that the assays that、uh, usually are used to study these bacteria? They contain very high concentration of a protein called bovine serum albumin, and this protein basically stops this pallet from bundling together. So this is the reason why this huge force is hidden behind the pages. So that sums up Neisseria gonorrhea and perhaps the strongest organism on Earth. Wow, I mean that is pretty pretty strong. So we've had two very tough, powerful microorganisms now. My next one is more weird than it is strong. It's just a bit strange. Magnetospirillum magnetotacticum, which has a lot of M's and T's in its name. It's quite hard to say, but it's very cool. So it's a gram-negative helical bacteria. When it does have some flagella, it's found in fresh water. Could usually survive at low oxygen levels. But the thing that is really cool about it is its magnetotactic, which means it orients and coordinates its movement in response to the Earth's magnetic field. It's like a tiny compass, tiny, tiny microorganism compass. But how does it do this, right? How does a tiny little microorganism work out where the magnetic field of the Earth is pointing? Well, it has specialized organelles inside its cytoplasm called magnetosomes. And these structures contain really, really high-quality crystals of magnetotite. So they have tiny, tiny crystals, magnetic crystals inside its cytoplasm, which is crazy. And magnetotite is、um, kind of an iron oxide. It's three iron atoms and four oxygen atoms bonded into a crystal unit. And it also just happens to be the most magnetic, naturally occurring mineral on Earth. So it synthesizes these tiny crystals inside its cytoplasm using an unresolved Biomineralization process. So people don't really know how it makes these crystals. So if you were a budding young scientist wanting to find something out that is unknown, here's a place to start to look.、Um, yeah, and these little crystals it has distributed along the axis of the bacterium cell, and this gives it somehow a way of orienting with the Earth's magnetic field. Why it wants to do this isn't exactly known.、Uh, some people theorize it's just to give it. A direction that it knows it can travel along, rather than randomly, and being able to go in a direction gives it a little bit of advantage than if it was moving randomly. Not the best theory for why it bothered to make tiny magnets, but it's a start. So a few unknowns here as well, which make it quite cool. It's a good place to sort of start your study if you're willing to start working out why bacterium, why bacteria even need tiny magnets. So yeah, that's my second microorganism of choice. What I have you next is. A fungi called、um, Armillaria solidipes. This fungus is actually very, very unusual. It's said that this fungus is the biggest, longest organism on Earth. Not、so、microorganism, but organism, just biggest organism. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'm talking about three point eight kilometers long. Okay, that's bigger than a blue whale. That is huge. <laughs> yes, and I'm gonna explain exactly why. So, this fungus is actually 
you know, you can think about it as a mushroom. So above the ground, just a regular mushroom. But then below ground, it has a huge network of mycelium, which is this that actually spans this long, long distance. And this actual fungus was found in the Blue Mountains in Oregon, otherwise known as honey fungus. And it is a parasitic and apparently tasty mushroom that colonizes and kills a variety of trees and woody plants. It was discovered quite recently, so in the late 1990s, by a team that went to investigate why trees were dying. And they collected different samples from different trees. What they actually found is that a few trees had been uh, struck down by the same clonal colony. And the team calculated the area that these trees and the furthest tree of the, this same colony is, uh, is the one that was found 3.8 kilometers apart. That is huge and an unbelievable scale to an organism that we refer to as a microorganism, isn't it? That's the thing. It's huge, but we still can't see it with the naked eye, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. cellular you can, structures. You can only see the mushrooms perhaps if they're above the ground. Okay. So the fruiting bodies we can see, yes. but it's like underlying cellular structure is 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 at the same time vast but also microscopic which is kind of strange to think about when was this discovered and, sorry um, do you... the, the first team that went out was in 1998 okay so um, within my lifetime yeah um, and yeah. this fungus is really it's estimated to be uh between uh you know 2000 to 8000 years old so it goes really, really back. Wow. So old that's why and big. Yeah. That's huge. So I guess it's not just humans that put on weight as they get older. <laughs> so can fungi. Well, actually, my next microorganism is also a fungus, or rather it's a genus of fungi. I've cheated a bit. It's a group of fungi. It's actually probably a more, a more famous one. This is cordyceps because actually featured in a David Attenborough documentary, Planet Earth. So it's a genus of parasitic fungi that mostly infect insects. Uh, and the word for that is it's entomopathogenic. Entomopathogenic fungi are ones that are pathogenic on insects. And there are loads of species. There's like, you know, around 400 species, and each species specializes in attacking a particular insect. And this fungus, once the spores get inside the insect its mycelium grow into the tissue of the infected host and they start to take control of it in weird ways. And as it's sort of slowly growing into the insect and replacing the insect tissue with fungus tissue, the infected insect will display weird behavior. And the characteristic one is it will start to, you know, if it's part of an ant colony, the ant will wander away from its colony and start to climb up a random branch till it gets to the top of the branch. And the last thing it will do is it will bite down really hard into the top of the plant, anchoring its head and the jaws into the plant, and then it will sort of die. And what happens then is the fungus has started to replace so much of the tissue, it starts to, to, to mushroom, to produce fruiting bodies, which burst out of the body of the insect. So like some weird, bizarre zombie from a computer game. Then these fruiting bodies will spray out more spores, and the spores will then float away and try and find the same species of insect to reinfect, zombify, and then grow into and burst out of. There was actually a computer game on the PlayStation 4, I think, called The Last of Us. And this computer game 
uh, was set in a fictional world where the cordyceps fungi has evolved to infect humans. And these spores fly around and infect human beings, grow up inside the human beings, turn them into crazed zombies, and eventually burst out the heads of the human beings. And in this game, you have to survive in this cordyceps zombie world. Okay, that's actually um, awesome. I wasn't aware of any you know, games, video games, PlayStation games that was based on a... Yeah, this is a... Microorganism concept. Exactly. A microorganism enemy, the cordyceps fungus. I mean, I really hope that it does not evolve to infect humans <laughs> and it stays within the insect realm. Uh, but yeah, so this is a... I guess I'd say, yeah, it's a microorganism that's been picked up a few times by, you know, larger platforms you might expect. So you've got David Attenborough talking about it. You've got PlayStation games about it. Just because it's so cool and it's so crazy what it does to insects, I think. The zombification... And also, if you see time lapses of this fungus bursting out of these insects, it does look pretty extreme. There's one other aspect of it, which might not be so known, but in the mountains of Bhutan, you have this, well, some species of this fungus growing around infecting caterpillars there. And in lots of these villages, collecting the, 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 the sort of dead caterpillar with the fungus coming out of it is one of the most lucrative businesses they have because these are really important for some aspects of Chinese medicine. So they will collect these cordyceps fungi insect growth things, and then they'll sell them on to uh, people who are wanting them for Chinese medicine. So they have quite a lot of economic value to areas of Bhutan as a final fact for you about the cordyceps fungi. That is pretty interesting as well. Do you we have time to talk about one last one? Yeah, I think so. I think so. We can do a bit of an extra bumper pack podcast today, can't we? Okay. So I think for this one, it's not really a microorganism, but it is microscopic and really cool. And I'm referring to water bears or tardigrades. Few details about them, just so you can imagine what we're talking about. They are microscopic eight-legged animals and they have been literally found everywhere on the earth's biosphere so from mountains to the deep sea to volcanoes to rainforest antarctic and their name water bear it comes from the the way they walk also the um, the word tardigradum means slow walker that's where they got their name one cool fact that i can share about water bears is that, as we mentioned before, as John mentioned before, they are very resilient animals. They are known to survive very extreme conditions, including radiation, also extreme temperatures, pressures, dehydration, and starvation. So, for example, they can go without food or water for more than 30 years. When I was sitting around in the FEMS office back in the before times, before we were doing all this remote working, I remember just spending some time reading papers about the mouthpieces of tardigrades because I got quite obsessed. Now, the mouthpieces of tardigrades in these microscopic uh, microorganisms are made out of calcium carbonate. So it's the same stuff that sort of seashells are made out of and that lime scales made out of. So they're incredibly hard and tough and they have this kind of like arrow-like structure and they have these yeah, carbon calcium stylets. They use these to pierce their prey and some eat bacteria and some eat amoebas or something, but the, the mouthpiece they have, much like Darwin's finches, corresponds to the prey that they have. And there's even a tardigrade that specializes in eating other tardigrades and it has particularly round, huge and openable mouthpieces so it can swallow other tardigrades, smaller tardigrades. 
I thought that was another super interesting and less known fact about the tardigrades is their really cool mouthpieces made out of super hard calcium carbonate. What I wanted also to mention about them is they are the first known animal, I believe, to survive in space. I found out that in 2007, water bears were sent via rocket to space. They have even traveled to International Space Station, for example, um, this year in 2021 in the SpaceX. I also found that they might also manage to reach the moon because a spacecraft crash landed on the moon on April 2019. So they will be on the moon, at least we think. They'll be in their dehydrated ton form, maybe, but they'll be on the moon. Yes. So this this is not proved yet. You know, they might be there. We can imagine a world, right, in where a meteorite was to smash into the moon and throw up this, this debris with these dehydrated tardigrades, fire them off into space, and then thousands of years later, they could seed life on another planet. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Which would be cool, wouldn't it? To start off with fully formed tardigrades. That's our final microorganism for today, isn't it? I think. Yeah, I do, I do believe, yeah. Yeah, okay. So if you're listening, then I want to just draw your attention to International Microorganism Day coming up on the horizon on the 17th of September. So get prepared to celebrate, tweet, shout, organize as much as you can for the day. The hashtag that we want everyone to use is simply hashtag International Microorganism Day. You can find um, the social media accounts at at Int Micro Day on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll be running a 24-hour live stream from noon on the 16th Central European time to noon on the 17th Central European time. There'll be lots of interesting content going throughout the uh, 24 hours. So tune in again on social media or on the homepage of the website, internationalmicroorganismday.org, and get ready to celebrate. We can't wait to see as many of you showcasing your favorite microorganisms on the day. So with that, I will wrap our episode. Thank you everyone that has stayed until now to listen to all our cool facts. Uh, we hope that you found this episode entertaining and that you can, you know, share with us one of your maybe cool facts. So, you know, messages or comment below. If you Tweet them in, email us. Yeah, any of them. We're happy to see as many facts as we can. Right, thanks very much from us, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode and on International Microorganism Day itself. You've been listening to the podcast Microbes and Us. Hit the follow button to never miss an episode, and follow us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Fems Micro, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Fems Microbiology.